0: Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are reading in the first epistle of John. Now, last time we read chapter 1. And a quick recap of chapter 1 would be to say that, uh, you know, John reminds the reader or listener, depending on how this was communicated, that he was an eyewitness to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and so were the, the other apostles. And then he reminds us that we are all, uh, we all have sin, and that God has no sin, the Lord has no sin, Jesus has no sin. We are walking in their light, we are pursuing or chasing, uh, growing more into being like Jesus and God. you know. But we are not perfect we do have sin and that we need to make sure that we admit that we have sin and that we confess our sins and if we do so as long as we are walking you know and by walking with the Lord you know that means we're trying to follow the Lord We're trying to follow what he says to do and how and trying to act the way he would have us act and trying to be more and more like Jesus You know, then we're walking in that light and his blood continually cleanses us from our sins. But we we must admit that we have sinned and confess and repent. The last verse here says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, make God out to be a liar, which is not correct. And his word, God's word, is not in us. So we don't want to do that. So now we are ready to read chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and this is, uh, I am reading in the Amplified Bible, <clears throat> this is a longer chapter, and there's going to be more to it, so am just going to start here in verse 1. My little children, believers, dear ones, I am writing you these things so that you will not sin and violate God's law. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate who will intercede for us with the Father and Jesus Christ, the righteous, the upright, the just one, who conforms to the Father's will in every way, purpose, thought, and action. And he, that same Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice that holds back the wrath of God that would otherwise be directed at us because of our sinful nature, our worldliness, our lifestyle. And not for ours alone, but also for the sins of all believers throughout the whole world. So we know that Jesus, his sacrifice, is what atones for our sins, what cleanses us from our sins, and what makes up for what we've done. He His one eternal sacrifice protects us. We are baptized into him, and then we are we are viewed by God as if we are Jesus. We are baptized into the body of Christ and we are viewed as if we are Jesus, even though we're not. And there's no there's no deception or lie about it. We're, we are covered and cleansed by the, the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice, and God knows that. But he loves us and he wants us to be saved and to be able to come to him. So... Verse 3, and this is how we know daily by experience that we have come to know him, to understand him and be more deeply acquainted with him. If we habitually keep focused on his precepts and obey his commandments, teachings, whoever says I have come to know him, but does not habitually keep focused on his precepts and obey his commandments or teachings, is a liar, and the truth of the divine word is not in him. But whoever habitually keeps his word, and obeys his precepts, and treasures his message in its entirety, in him the love of God has truly been perfected, it is completed, and has reached spiritual, has reached maturity. <clears throat> I started to add spiritual, sorry. By this we know for certain that we are in him. Whoever says he lives in Christ... That is, whoever says he has accepted him as God and Savior ought as a moral obligation to walk and conduct himself just as he walked and conducted himself. So here, John is making another comparison, another contrast that is easy for us to understand. We know that the ones who know the Lord and know God they are habitually focused on God's Word. They are habitually focused on following God's Word. We are trying to do what the Lord would do. We are trying to act like Jesus and act like our Lord. We're not perfect at it. No, that's, that's partly, that goes back to the previous chapter. But, if we are working at it, if we're habitually and see that that keeps coming up in this translation habitually that means that we are daily we are always trying to understand God's word learn God's word we're trying to become more and more like Jesus by studying his word following his teachings his commandments and when we say that we are a Christian and we live in Christ then we should walk and conduct ourselves as He walked and conducted Himself. If we do not, if we are not studying our our Bible, if we're not trying to become more like the Lord every day, then we're not being a Christian. We we are not habitually doing that. We are not doing properly. And I, I know that any of us you know, I know none of us are perfect and I know anybody could have a really horrible day where they don't get to do what they would normally do and maybe, but we should, you know, always make sure that we have time for the Word and for God and prayer every day and, uh, you know, if we don't, if we mess that up due to outrageous circumstances or whatever, you know, I know how life can be, believe me, I know then, you know, we need to repent and come back to Him you know, just as soon as we can, be it, you know, later that day or this or, you know, the next day or whatever. Just, you know, just don't quit, don't give up, but make it a habit. Always have a habit of, you know, studying, studying the Word and praying for others and yourself and your family and, you know, always asking God, always seeking His wisdom and His love. So that we can conduct ourselves and walk like the Lord walked, but that's our contrast here. If we're not, if we're not acting like Jesus, and we're claiming to be Christians, then are we really Christians? I mean, that's really the essence of what John is getting at, and and we have to say no. Now, that 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 sounds harsh, and it sounds really hard, but. We we understand that we make mistakes and we understand that we're not perfect, but as much as is within us as much as we can, we should be following the Lord and trying to conduct ourselves like He did. Alright, so verse seven <clears throat> Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the message which you have heard before from us. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you which is true and realized in Christ and in you because the darkness of moral blindness is clearing away and the true light, the revelation of God in Christ, is already shining. The one who says he is in the light in consistent fellowship with Christ and yet habitually hates or works against his brother in Christ is in the darkness until now. The one who loves and unselfishly seeks the best for his believing brother lives in the light and in him there is no occasion for stumbling or offense. He does not hurt the cause of Christ or lead others to sin. But the one who habitually hates works against his brother in Christ is in spiritual darkness and is walking in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Again, John is making a contrast, a comparison. Now he says he's not writing a new commandment, but it's an old commandment. But in a way, he's saying it is a new commandment to us, which is true and realized in Christ and in you because the darkness of this moral blindness is clearing away. So, the revelation of Jesus is the true light for us. And if we're going to claim to be in that light, again, to be a Christian, and to be in fellowship with Christ and with God, then we can't hate our brother. We can't hate our fellow Christian or our fellow man. Now, he does not um, hear... This distinguishes, the Amplified distinguishes by saying his brother in Christ, but that doesn't necessarily appear to be in the text. However, it does say his brother, which would imply that a fellow, a fellow Christian. However, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it a step further and I'm going to say if you hate anyone, because anyone, even someone who is not a Christian yet, could be a Christian. They could be a Christian tomorrow, in the next minute. We do not know, and we cannot say. So if we are habitually hating others, then we are in the darkness. There's there's something wrong in our hearts, and we are in the darkness if we're hating others. So he's making this contrast again. If we, if we say we're in the light and following the Lord and we're a Christian, then we can't be hating others. We can't be working against others or working against others. Um, other Christians, or even just other people. We should be working toward them to help them. As he mentions here, we should be loving unselfishly, seeking the best for our brother. You know, that's the person that lives in the light. Now, this this distinguishes this translation, tries to make it sound like it's just for loving our, our Christian brothers. But I don't know the person on the street if they're my a Christian brother or not. But I do know they're a person, and I know that um, we need to be treating them, un, you know, with that same unselfish love. So I'm going to say that while I like this translation, that sometimes what it adds in actually is maybe not the best because um, in this case I think this would apply to how we relate to all men and not just to Christians. We should not be hating our brother, anyone. And if we are hating them and working against them, then then we are not being a Christian. We are not walking in the light. We are actually in darkness. We've been deceived or deceiving ourselves. And instead we should be looking out for others to help them in an unselfish way and uh, seeking the best for them, and then we live in the light. Well what's the best for them? The best for them, if they are a Christian is to help them and and maybe teach them more or you know any number of things like that. And if they're not a Christian, then it's to teach them about the Lord, to take whatever opportunity we might have to try to share the gospel with them. So and not work against them and not be Mean or hateful to them, and not hate them, because he specifically says hates, habitually hates, and and I know the habitually is kind of added, but still, um, you know, and we um, I'll I'll read this note here where it says and yet hates, hates his brother. Um, this focuses more on the self-centered hateful actions. Not the emotion of hate, but self-centered, hateful actions of someone who habitually cultivates an obstructionist attitude and ignores the command to act in a way that expresses unselfish Christian love. And then where he says the one who loves, there's a note that goes with this, the one who loves. And what we need to understand about the one who loves his brother, it is basically this is Christian love. Um, doing things for the benefit of another person, having an unselfish concern for another, and a willingness to seek the best for another. And not looking out just for number one. See, if you're just looking out for number one, and you're just looking out for you and yours, then, you know, it's not that you truly emotionally hate, but at the same time, you are not looking out. You are not walking in Christian love. You're not looking out for others. It's and it's not that we shouldn't look out for our families. We definitely should, but there's a balance to everything, and uh, there's times when we certainly could help others and do for others. We don't want to be obstructionists. We don't want to be hindering other Christians or other people coming to Christ. So we want to make sure that we're truly walking in the light and looking out for the best for others and not just looking out for ourselves and ours um, and we want to make sure that we're working to aid our brothers and sisters and, uh, and that goes for everyone not just for believers but for everyone because if we're not treating everyone uh, with Christian love then, then we're not walking in that light we're not doing things correctly and somehow we're being blinded now he mentions the darkness has blinded his eyes so if we're not walking in this Christian love and looking out for others then we are walking in the darkness we do not know where we're going because the darkness has blinded our eyes now that's that's his words that's the word of God right here that's not that's not me so we need to make sure that we're doing that that way <clears throat> when we're doing that we don't you know we don't offer any occasion of stumbling or any offense you know we will not hurt someone or hurt the cause of Christ we will not hurt someone or hurt the cause of Christ in other words or lead others to sin notice we will because when we are acting selfishly and self-centered and hatefully whether we mean to or not, we accidentally offend others and we cause them to act similarly. And it creates a chain reaction and, and you've probably seen this before in other interactions with people it, it can very easily happen just one harsh word or just one uh, you know someone gets a little grumped you know it can happen so we need to be need to be cautious of that and make sure that we are walking in that light And walking in Christian love towards everyone. So verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, believers, dear ones, because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. And that's Jesus. You have been pardoned and released from spiritual debt through his name because you have confessed his name, believing in him as Savior. I am writing to you, now, notice that's a distinction there. He's writing to, to little children, all of, and that's that's really all of us, because our sins have been forgiven. Okay. Verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers, those believers who are spiritually mature, because you know him who has existed from the beginning. Okay, so he's writing to the spiritually mature he's addressing this letter to everyone really I'm writing to you young men those believers who are growing in spiritual maturity they're not really totally mature but they're working on it they're, they're working on it now this is more of a spiritual sense okay instead of an actual physical or earthly sense I'm writing to you young men those believers who are growing in spiritual maturity Because you have been victorious and have overcome the evil one. Well, how did they do that? By becoming saved. They have been saved. They have accepted salvation. And they are moving forward. They are growing in maturity. I have written to you children. Now again, these are children. Those who are new believers. Those spiritually immature. Because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has existed from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and vigorous and the Word of God remains always in you and you have been victorious over the evil one by accepting Jesus as Savior. There's a little repetitiveness here, but he's trying to say that or he is saying, not trying to say he is saying, this is to all of us where there were, still new and young spiritually, whether we've, you know, been been saved for a little while and we're we're strong in the word, but we're still growing, or whether we've known the Lord for a long time and we are um you know, we are what would you say? We're we're kind of solid. We're, we're like the the spiritually mature Christian who, you know, they're solid, they know, um how they should be, and they're, you know, it's kind of like an elder. They're, they're already walking in all of that. Um, so this is to all of us, okay? He's writing this to all of us. This is for all of us. Now, going to move on to verse 15. And the first part of this tells you what this is going to be about. Do not love the world do not love the world of sin that opposes God and his precepts, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust and sensual craving of the flesh, and the lust and longing of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, pretentious confidence in one's resources, or in the stability of earthly things, these do not come from the Father but are from the world the world is passing away and with it its lusts the shameful pursuits and ungodly longings but the one who does the will of God and carries out his purposes lives forever so in these short verses here John is reminding us not to love the things of the world now he's not talking about the earth and God's handiwork here on this earth and the, the mountains, the trees, the, the wonderful nature. Those things are all good. God created all that and all that's good. He's talking about whenever we talk about the world really if we're, if we're reading the word and thinking of this distinctly as a Christian the world could be better translated to Society or that type of thing, Um, society would tell you that so many things are okay that we know are not okay. Society would encourage you to have lusts and passions that are bad for you and hurt you. Um, It would encourage you to follow, you know... Oh, just do you do whatever you want to do and you know and that's we know that's not really the best for us you know um, as the children of God you know we need to follow a certain structure we need to follow certain guidelines and those keep us safe those are what's best for us it's not that we can't enjoy the things that God has created for us we certainly can and we we should we are supposed to but. We can't love the world as in society and societal norms and the things they think is okay. I mean, at one time, I mean, and I'm not trying to harp on anything in particular, but let's just go back. If you go back through time, different things were acceptable and different societies accept different things that we know are totally wrong. And we know slavery, all kinds of prejudices, owning. Um, uh, you know, women were basically oppressed as basically uh, property, <laughs> and and still are in some parts of the world. Um, a, a lot of things like that. Now, it's it's not a big deal here. I know. I know our society tries to do this drumbeat of like everyone's oppressed in the U.S. The opposite is very true, and we know that. We know that people are not oppressed here. It's not that mistakes don't happen. It's not that wrongs don't happen. They do. Unfortunately, we live in a world where all human people make mistakes, and people do things that are wrong. So we know those things do happen. We can't say they don't happen. That would be a lie. They do happen. But, you know, our society does not push for or want people oppressed. You know, it just doesn't. Okay. However, what it does, what society will push for is things that we we know is wrong. You know, the murder of babies, that's wrong. Um, You know, and then there's other things that society now accepts as normal. Um, You know, going through a lot of transgender and a lot of uh, homosexual stuff and things like that. And we know these things are wrong. They're not... uh, they're not good for us. They're harmful to us, you know, and we know these are bad things. It's not that these people are bad. These are people. They are sinners just like we're sinners, and we need to help them, and that's the whole thing, you know. But we are not to love the world. We're not to love these things that encourage us to do drugs and to have these drunken parties, and um, we're not to... Uh, love these things that are wrong and love these lusts and passions, you know, to have you know all kinds of weird sexual stuff and things things I probably don't even know about. I'm probably, you know, don't know all that. He calls it here shameful pursuits and ungodly longings, longings. And those could be of a sexual nature, but not necessarily. they could be greedy, they could be greedy desires. Um, they could be selfish and greedy, they could be, Um, They could be sexual, and they could be wrong sexual things, Um, but, you know, we're not to love those things in the world, in society. We're not to, to follow society's strange moral code, is what I'm going to call it, because society has kind of an odd moral code, and it does not always follow... The truth, which is God's word, it follows its own weirdness, and and people don't want to admit that they're, you know, that they're wrong, or they're being selfish, or that they're doing something that is definitely abnormal and wrong. So, and I'm not trying to dance around any subjects. It's just this could encompass a whole lot of things. So I don't want to narrow it down to just one thing. It can, it can, um, it can encompass or cover. A lot of things, because there are a lot of things that are shameful pursuits and ungodly longings. If we, you know, if we have the desire to kill someone, that's that's certainly shameful and, and ungodly. And if we have the desire to, uh, you know, rob and steal from others, and you know, there's just all kinds of things like that that are wrong and they're the wrong desires if we're coveting each other's wives and uh, you know etc cetera, et cetera, you know or if we're looking for relationships outside of our marriage you know all those things are wrong and those are bad longings so so I don't want to narrow it down to just a few things there's so many examples that would apply in the in the world today people are like oh that's okay it doesn't matter you know I'll just get a divorce just go on you know whatever so We need to make sure that we're not loving the things from the world, the society, man's world, and not following man's logic. And, you know, science is a wonderful good thing, but we need to recognize that there there is good science and math that is real and true, and it is solid. And then we need to recognize the difference in theories. Theories are great. It's wonderful to think about these things and to theorize these things. But they are just that. They're theories. They have no solid proof. It's just a, an idea, a possible, a what-if, a maybe. And until it's proven, that's what it is. And I know people really get bent out of shape by that. But we need to make sure that when we're teaching others and talking to others about scientific things and we explain that a theory is just that, is a theory. And, you know, yeah, we keep seeing things and we think, well, that kind of looks like that would belong with that theory or agree with that theory, and and it's fine to to stay at that and show that, but remember still that we're talking about a theory. The theory today, you know, is that, uh, you know, the theory today is, well, it's kind of like, look at our solar system. I was raised and we were taught there were nine planets, okay, here a few years back. Oh, Pluto's no longer a planet. We've changed our designation and Pluto is whatever whatever they call it now and we have eight planets. Well, okay, fine. That's just people changing their minds and changing a definition and you know what I mean. It's... And that, but theories are kind of like that. In that theories change. You know, we, as we find new evidence, we find things. You know, we thought some some animals were extinct, and we found um, a small group of them living somewhere. So that kind of thing happens. So we don't know everything. So we need to make sure that uh, we don't fall into believing and following the world and society and um, besides the lustful and sensual cravings and all that, we have to watch out for the pride of life, this pretentious confidence in our own abilities and resources. It's not that we shouldn't acknowledge that we have abilities or be confident in those, but we shouldn't put our confidence in that in front of God. We should trust and believe in God first and know that He will help us to continue in our abilities and continue to have the resources that we need, and not put our um, faith and trust in, say, money or my ability to do something that gets money. Rather, have faith and trust in God that He will continue to help, you know, help me to have this ability and to hone this ability and to improve and and work. You know, I understand that my work supplies my resources but I understand too that God helps me in all that he blesses me and all that he blessed me to even have my job so we have to understand where our true source is alright so we need to understand that and we need to make sure that we are carrying out the will of God okay if you have all these other things going on and you love the world and you're following the world's ideas then you won't be following the will of God. But here at the end of uh, verse 17, he says, But the one who does the will of God and carries out his purposes lives forever. And that's what we want to make sure that we are doing. Alright, so verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, the end of this age, and just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, the one who will oppose Christ and attempt to replace him, Even now, many Antichrist's false teachers have appeared, which confirms our belief that it is the last hour. They went out from us seeming at first to be Christians, but they were not really of us because they were not truly born again and spiritually transformed. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out teaching false doctrine so that it would be clearly shown that none of them are of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, you have been set apart, specially gifted and prepared by the Holy Spirit, and all of you know the truth because he teaches us, illuminates our minds, and guards us from error. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie, nothing false, no deception is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed? This is the antichrist, the enemy and antagonist of Christ, the one who denies and consistently refuses to acknowledge the Father and the Son. Whoever denies and repudiates the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses and acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that remain in you. Keeping in your hearts that message of salvation, which you heard from the beginning, if what you heard from the beginning remains in you, you too will remain in the Son and in the Father forever. So here plainly he's talking about, and we have the spirit of the Antichrist in the world now, people who refuse and repudiate God and Jesus they refuse to believe and they don't want others to believe and they teach against them they oppose Jesus and God and this that is the spirit of the antichrist now here he's talking suit too about false teachers who went out as if they were Christians as if they were pretending we talk about the wolves in sheep clothing and they're actually not they go out and you, you know, initially they thought they were fellow Christians, but then they found that they were not because of what they were teaching and, you know, the, the false doctrine. And, you know, it, it was clearly shown that they were not Christian and that they were not of them, but they were, or us, however you want to say that. And he says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So if you have someone teaching that Jesus is not the Son of God, he's not the Messiah, he's not our salvation, then that person is teaching wrong. They are incorrect and they they are of this Antichrist. Even, Even if for some reason, let's just say, and I can't imagine, but let's just say that for some reason they were just mistaken in believing in some other faith... I guess then, I guess we could say maybe it wasn't so much the spirit of the Antichrist, but it could just be human mistakenness. But, but in this case, he's really talking about someone who's really antagonistically, who is denying and consistently refusing to acknowledge the Father and the Son. They are, you know, they are denying and repudiating, meaning they are really arguing against the Son. Jesus, and also the Father, because if you argue against one, you're arguing against the other, so, so these are people who are teaching that, and like he said, initially they thought, you know, there can be people that you think is a Christian, but then it turns out they're not, they're actually something else, kind of like we said before, kind of like a wolf in sheep's clothing, but it can also mean that it's just someone, we have a lot of it nowadays, it's it's very cool for people to be an atheist, and, and be, oh, I don't believe, and they give all these reasons and stuff, and they put down, you know, Jesus and God, and, you know, that's a very cool attitude, this atheistic thing, that it's all, oh, that's all the rage, you know. Uh, it's not cool to be a Christian, it's not cool to believe, but uh, we need to make sure that we you know, we talk to those people, engage with those people in a sense of trying to convert them. But you know, if they refuse and if they are just dead set against us, if they have that spirit of, of unbelief that they don't want to believe of the, of the Antichrist, then you know, we'll probably have to you know, stop at some point and just let them go. Verse 25 This is the promise which he himself promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you with reference to those who are trying to deceive you, seducing you and leading you away from the truth and sound doctrine. As for you, the anointing, the special gift, the preparation, which you received from him remains permanently in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But just as his anointing teaches you, giving you insight through the presence of the Holy Spirit about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as his anointing has taught you, you must remain in him, being rooted in him, knit to him. So... John is expressing that he has written to us, to, to those who he would originally written to and us, you know, to, you know, um, protect us, or uh, let's see, how do you say that? Knowledge, you know, guards, you know, knowledge is power, knowledge is guards against these things. If you know better, then then it's harder for you to be deceived. So he's writing these things, To keep us from being deceived, to keep us from being seduced and led away from the truth. And he says, you know, he says that really we have no need for anyone to teach us. And you know, we can, we can read the Word of God. We can read our Bibles, okay? However, he's not saying that it's not good for us to have someone, you know, to teach us. But he's saying we don't have a need. We can always read our Bibles and we can judge and verify everything through the Word of God. Now, they did not always have that back then. They had to make sure that they were going by what they had learned to that point, though. You know, they had a lot of word of mouth and they had to learn a lot that way. Um, they didn't always have copies of these letters and epistles. You know, maybe maybe this congregation would have one copy of that that they would read and, and look at and remind themselves of, you know. But they did not have. You know, not everyone had a copy of the Bible walking around back then. You know, but for us, we have it a lot easier. And we can, you know they had now they did have the holy spirit though and the holy spirit was li- was leading and guiding them uh, about all things so and we do have that too and the holy spirit helps us in our in our study of the bible of god's word and it helps lead and guide us through our daily lives as well now little children believers dear ones remain in him with unwavering faith so that when he appears at his return we may have perfect confidence and not be ashamed and shrink away from him at his coming. If you know that he is absolutely righteous, you know for certain that everyone who practices righteousness, doing what is right and conforming to God's will, has been born of him. So in this last little bit of this chapter, he's encouraging us to remain in Christ in other words to continue down the path with Christ continue following Christ and and continue you know daily with our walk with God so that when he appears when he returns we will have confidence and will not be ashamed and shrink away from him see people who Suddenly, when Christ appears, and people who have denied and been fighting against him all this time, they're going to be ashamed, and they're going to shrink away from his coming, they're going to be terrified. And that makes sense. And we're going to rejoice, and we're going to be glad. Um, on the other hand, you know, I, I don't want people. I don't want people I know and care about I don't want anyone, really, even if I don't know him, I don't want them to be in this condition where they're ashamed and they shrink away from the Lord when He returns. So, And that's why it's going to take time. That's why it's going to be a while. That's why, even though we're in this last stage, it's not over yet. It's not done yet. But we need people because we all live such short lives. We need people to convert and change and not wait. Don't wait and hope you're going to have time for that deathbed change of heart and repentance because that may not work, you know, or you may not have time for that. So we don't want to wait till then. And if we know that He is righteous, if we know God and Jesus the Lord, if we know He is absolutely righteous, if we know Jesus, is righteous, then we know that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See, we can tell people, as we've said so many times, we can tell people by their fruits, by how they act, by how they are, their their belief, their faith, and their righteousness will show through. It's not that they can't have flaws and make mistakes just like any of us do. It's not that they're without sin, it's just that their Christian attitude and actions will show. It will bear out, because they're trying to follow the same guy we're all trying to follow, and that's Jesus, the Son of God. You know, we're all trying to follow our spiritual older brother. We're all trying, and he's trying to help guide us along. He's not running away from us, or trying to get away from us. He's trying to pull us along, and and kind of tug at us, and bring us down the path with him. So all right that is the end of 1 John chapter 2. I know it has been long but there's just so much here in chapter 2 and I think we're you know we're going to continue to have this where some of these are just going to be so long and it's worth it though. It's worth it to study these over and over and make sure that we understand how we're supposed to be and how we should be looking out for others and how we should not be You know, acting in sinful, lustful ways or greedy ways. Okay? Alright. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. May God bless you and keep you safe. And remember, God loves you.